You're listening to a podcast from Turners Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. What a weird reading. <laughs> I was thinking as I was preparing, imagine someone that come to church this morning at Turners Hill and uh, just sort of, you know, hadn't been to church in decades or something like that. And we're coming, oh, just fed up of all the weirdness out there. I'm just going to go and get some kind of spiritual wisdom, something really to reset, you know, and get me back in touch with God. And they come and the sermon's about a demon-possessed guy full of thousands of demons and pigs jumping off cliffs and drowning and then everyone telling Jesus to go away. I thought that was kind of a... Well, I thought that was an interesting uh, <laughs> kind of way to, to pitch the sermon. It's, it is a weird story, isn't it? Have you ever read that story and thought, this is, what is going on? I'm here to tell you. I'm not really sure either. <laughs> no, I, do, I know some of the stuff. I mean, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a complete waste of your time. But like, you know, the pig thing, that is just weird, isn't it? That is really, really odd. Okay, but whatever our questions we have, it's included in three of the four gospels. And I don't think they were any less aware of the strangeness. I don't think they had some kind of, you know, insight from the first century about, you know, oh, there's some significance in these pigs jumping off a cliff that we've just lost through. I think it was strange to them as well. Um, but they, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all included it in their gospel. So there's definitely a real big significance in this story for them. And partly, definitely for Luke, probably for Mark. Uh, I'm not sure about Matthew because I haven't studied it in as much depth, to be honest with you. But definitely, it's a part of them answering this question, which is on the lips of the disciples in literally the first verse, the preceding verse before our reading. Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. And then in the lips of a demon-possessed man, you know, son of the Most High God, that's the answer. And that's why he can do these amazing things. And this incredibly powerful uh, miracle and demonstration of God's power is there to answer that question. Who else can do that? You know, people casting out demons in Jesus' days, your average Jewish exorcist would struggle and wrestle for hours or days or even weeks trying to cast out a demon. There'd be fasting and there'd be all sorts of rituals and words of power and all that sort of thing. And even today, Christians, with the Holy Spirit and so on, if there are demons and it does happen, but for us, exorcism is not usually quite as quick and as easy as it was for Jesus. And it's showing, if you like, Jesus is on another order, another level of power. His, you know, it's not just one demon, and it's not like a massive struggle. It's get out. Do we have to? Yes. Okay. Then. <laughs> and it's done. You know. So there's this. There's this uh, power. It's definitely who is this? He's the Son of God, the Son of the Most High God. The demons know because of them. We know. They they immediately obey him. There's also some fulfillment of scripture here. I definitely think one thing that this the writers of the gospel had that. Most of us don't have is just that immersion in the Old Testament where the verses of scripture come back to, to mind and they would see things happening in Jesus' life and they'd be like, hang on a minute, this is just like in the Psalm or this is just like, and so there's uh, Isaiah 65 where it talks about the people who have not searched for me have found me like the demon possessed guy. They said, go away from me. I don't want to be near you like the demon possessed guy. They dwelt among the tombs, like the demon possessed guy. Salvation has come to them, like the demon possessed guy. So you know that there's fulfillment of scripture there. There's a lovely like uh, echo of Psalm 107. Immediately before this, what made the disciples go, who is this? Uh, was that he'd calmed the storm, that amazing 
account of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Um, and there's a psalm that talks about Psalm 107. It's a beautiful psalm, let the redeemed tell their story. And it's got all the different paragraphs of the psalm giving God saved us like this, God saved us like this, God saved us like this. One of the ways he saved people was he calmed the waters. Another way he saved people is he led them out of a desolate place, solitary place like the demon-possessed man, and into the city like the demon-possessed man. That's in this story. So there's this fulfillment of scripture. So, and also I think, why was it important to the gospel writers? I think also the name of this demon or these demons is legion. What does that conjure up in your mind as well as lots? It's kind of images of anyone? Legionnaires disease. disease. Thanks, Nick, for that constructive comment. Anyone else? <laughs> uh, Roman, someone said Roman. <laughs> Rami's right. So I think there's a certain sense in which there is a kind of ironic... You, you expected the Messiah to come and cast out the Roman legions. Actually, he's coming to cast out something bigger, more invisible, more powerful, more scary, you know, the, the Roman legions. And there certainly is a kind of militaristic, very kind of, you know, Jesus is ordering them and there's something showing it's kind of commandeering uh, majesty uh, going on there as well. So, despite the strangeness, despite the weirdness of the pigs jumping over the cliff and that sort of thing, they've got the, it's definitely, and probably for loads more reasons I haven't even imagined, the gospel writers have included this, because there's an oomph in this story, isn't there? Powerful stuff. What would God say to you and me today through his word? That's the question we come to answer every Sunday, isn't it? That's what we come to hear. Not just what does this say, you know, through time and space. But what would God say to us this morning? Well, I think firstly God would say to us that this is a picture of what God, of what Jesus can do for everyone. Isn't that right? I feel bad, it's so obvious. Like, you know, am I, am I allowed to take that as a sermon point? Isn't this really obvious though that Jesus can do this for everyone? Jesus can do this for everyone. Robinson's coming tomorrow. His father-in-law had multiple demons in him. And on the way to commit suicide and kill his family, he heard the gospel being preached on the street somewhere, went forward to get baptised. They thought he was joking because he was such, you know, such a troublemaker. But through a prophetic word, they baptised him anyway. And demons visibly left his body. And he was immediately healed of his addictions, his demon possession. His whole life was set right. Now he's like in his late 70s. He's pastoring a church somewhere. You know, amazing. God still does this stuff today. And not just demon possessions. This is just a, a picture of what salvation is. You know, actually, probably one of the reasons why the Lord saw fit to include this out of all the things that Jesus did, of all the things he did in, in his ministry. Why did he include this story? Because this demon-possessed man is a picture of everyone who doesn't have Jesus. Now that seems... Extreme, doesn't it? Again, if you're a, you're a casual visitor here today, just trying to, you know, get in touch with the spiritual side, and I said, not only is this story about pigs, you know, really important, but it's a picture of you. You'd probably not be as comforted as as uh, you thought you'd be at the end of the service. But it is. It's a picture of each one of us without Jesus. It's not far-fetched. If we compare who God made us to be, made in his image, to share his glory and to know his perfect love, to live in perfect peace and serenity and harmony and happiness, uh, in 
harmony with the world around us and with each other and in beauty and all the good things that God designed us to have, if you could see from heaven's perspective what we were made to be and what we are, it would look like this demon-possessed man looks to us. We are so fallen so far short of God's intentions for us through sin in us and in the world around us that our lives are a complete mess. I, I include us too. I mean, even as Christians, we are so far short, aren't we, of what God intended us to be. But without Jesus, we are utterly lost. I'm looking around. I'm preaching at the choir. There is, I can't see a visitor here this morning. So I'm going to contextualize a little bit. People are lost. People are lost. Each one of us here this morning, he's made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Whereas lost and alone and isolated and crazy and bewildered as this man once was. Bound in chains, addicted to forces bigger than ourselves. So, you know, that psalm, let the redeemed tell their story. Remind yourself from time to time. You know, don't just think, you know, we, we tend to think about our ongoing struggles and God wants us, you know, he wants us to fight against sin. He wants us to grow and so on. But let me tell you, if you're with Jesus, you are so far on from where you were. Yes. Isn't that true? Yes. Whatever, you know, you might be sitting here this morning and saying, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. You are so far on from where you were because you are safe in the arms of God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. You know, God has rescued you out of such terrible circumstances. And he has, you know, he has assured your future. He has sat you down at his feet and given you peace. A promise for what's ahead of you. Isn't that amazing? Let the redeemed tell their story. That's the whole to tell you that. Tell God, tell him how thankful you are for what he's done for you. For the things he set you free from in the past. For the destiny that he rerouted you from. From the chains he's broken, from the, the solitary place. Who was lonely and now has friends? Who was, you know, in a, a solitary place, emotionally or physically, and has now been brought into the city? Each one of us can tell a story like that. So let you tell your story, but let it move you also to look around at the people around you and be moved with compassion. See people with the eyes of heaven. You know, uncover the gentility. Boris Johnson in the news. Was it, when was it? The night before last? And some neighbour taped his argument with his girlfriend slash mistress slash fiance. I don't know what she is. This veneer of, you know, uh, um, middle, I'm not picking on him. We're all the same. <laughs> but he's going to be the next prime minister. He's this upper class guy, he's posh and educated and he's a bit of a buffoon, but he's alright. You know, they're having an argument just like everyone else. And for a moment, the veil is pulled back and we see, you know, the screaming and the shouting. And that's just a hint of the whirlwind of sin and stuff that's going on in his heart just like everybody else's. Don't be fooled by the veneer of respectability around us. Don't be lulled into a false sense of security when it comes to sharing the gospel with people. People look like they're okay, but compared to what God had intended for them, they are utterly lost. They need Jesus. They might say to you, when you bring up the subject to Jesus, they might be like the demon-possessed man, not shouting at the top of their voice. I spared you that in my reading, but can you imagine? 
someone's shouting at the top of their voice, a man, grown man, strong enough to break chains, this is going to be a bit of a roar, isn't it? What have you to do with me? So you go and tell the gospel to someone, you get anything less than, what have you to do with me? You're getting off lightly. <laughs> but people will not want to hear the gospel because they don't know they're lost. It doesn't mean they don't need it. Don't be put off by the rejection. Don't be put off by the stupidity or the naivety that you encounter when you share God's good news or God's law with somebody. Don't be put off. People don't know how much they need him. Amen? Amen. I've completely lost my place, but that's a good thing today. Yeah, we should, definitely, we should be moved with that vision, that compassion from heaven. We should be strengthened against rejection. Let's not be wusses about sharing the gospel. Come on. So this picture of what Jesus can do for everyone, that still does today. That's the first thing. Secondly, then, a story helps us to recognize the character of the demonic. I just, um, you know, I meant to say this in my intro, but it will go here. I just, um, you know these uh, church fathers, I know I quote them every week, and some of you roll your eyes at me. And uh, <laughs> always quoting dead people. They're really good. <laughs> <laughs> And they're not dead, they're alive in Christ. So, no. Anyway, so there's all Cyril or Basil or whatever. There's one called Cyprian. I know some of you are going to now call your children Cyprian. And the next child Cyprian. Cyprian of Carthage is this awesome guy. And he, when he's preaching in this passage, he just says, he, um, we've got like someone made notes of his sermon. It's so cool. And he, like, he loses his place in his sermon. Because in the intro, he gets so excited. He's like, can you understand the significance? You've got to, he's like, so he's, he's preaching to pagans like third century or something. Uh, people who've converted out of paganism, where like spirits and demons and stuff were their bread and butter. They were familiar with these things. And, you know, there are temples around. Christianity is not in the, you know, is it to accept a religion. So there are temples and people have literally come out of similar situations to this guy. And he says, he just gets lost in the, like, the picture of it. He's like, can you imagine? These are the spirits who once people built beautiful temples and made ornate altars for and worshipped day and night. And, you know, our whole world was enthralled to them. And here they are before Jesus, the true king of kings, the Lord of lords. And they're begging. What are they begging for? Not even for one soul. They're begging to be cast out into pigs. Look at them now, cast down so low. It's triumphant. You know, it's just, I love the way that it unveils just the, the ugliness and the character of the demonic. How dismissive we can be in one sense. Not because they're not powerful, but because, you know, when the enemy attacks, he's just, he's just nothing compared to Jesus, is he? We see the character of the demonic really unveiled here because this man is so infested with demons. And because of that, we get to understand something about the way the devil works. And that helps us to be alert to the devil's schemes, which is something that that scripture tells us to be. The word devil in Greek is diabolos. I'm going to do something. They always tell you not to do this when when you're learning how to preach, which is I'm going to tell you what the, the Greek word is if you break it down into its little parts. But I'm going to do it anyway, even though you're not supposed to do it. The word in Greek... Is for devil is diabolos. And literally, you could translate that as to throw apart, to cast apart. It's actually really helpful. 
uh, little snippet of information because that is the heart of uh, demonic activity to cast apart, to throw apart. So we look at this guy who's infested with demons and his life is sort of thrown apart. He's separated out from everything that's normal. So verse 27 tells us, he was a man of the city who now lives in this solitary place among the tombs. So he's been thrown apart from society. He's been thrown apart from social norms. Or, you know, he's not wearing clothes. You don't have to think about that too hard, but he's not. So when he comes to Jesus and he's shouting at the top of his voice, which is also against social norms as far as I'm aware, you know, uh, to this guy he's never met before. He, he's, he's, he's an outcast. And yet, here's the twist in the demonic thing. He's free. I mean, not really free, not from our perspective. But you see, like, there's an irony in this passage that Luke's picking up on. Here's a man who is, he's free from social constraint. He's free from the norms of how people normally live. He's literally free because every time they put shackles on him, he breaks them and runs away. So he's bound, but he's free. Bound by sin, but free from other things. And that is a demonic tactic to say to people, you can be free if you disregard God's commands, if you put aside other people, if you put aside God's love, if you put aside God's law, you can be free. The enemy promises freedom and gives us slavery. Think that's true? Yeah. He casts apart, and in so doing, we're flowing off in our own direction, and we're utterly enslaved. So we see that temptation, say, you know, and in the world around us, I'm not just talking about Christians, but everywhere we see it, temptation in relationships, you know, friends, you friends with someone and they start to, you know, they do something to upset you, they, you know, or they really, or you think they have, or whatever it is. And there's that temptation inside to what? Ah, I can't be bothered with them anymore. To cast apart. Because why? Because they're dragging me down, because they're holding me back, because, you know, it's just hassle, isn't it? It's having to deal with the emotions. It's having to... The enemy would have us break those relationships. God says, even if it's your enemy who does that, you should love them. You know, let alone your friend. In, uh, you know, slightly more up in the stakes, slightly, you know, we, we do get that in church. You know, you know, sometimes someone does something to offend us, someone, or someone's just got a habit we don't like, or whatever it is. And there's that temptation just to, you know, to pull down the sort of the dividers somehow. You know what I mean? Just to be like, I don't really, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be mean to them. I'll say hello if they say hello to me, but you know, I'm not going to actually love that person because it's too hard, it's too costly, um, it's been too hurtful in the past. Where does that idea come from? The Diablos. Uh, upping the stakes a little bit. In, you know, sometimes that temptation comes into our closest relationships, often in a marriage, which in God's eyes is unbreakable, lifelong, till death do us part. Um, that's the truth of it, and something happens, and that temptation comes along to to break it off somehow and be free. It, it happens, doesn't it? We see it in the world around us. All of us will have known people have gone through that, uh, gone through that temptation, and we maybe even acted on it. They've decided to be free by rejecting uh, being bound by God's law, and they end up in 
slavery to sin. So with recognising the pattern of the devil's types of, you know, his types of activity. That's relationships. We see it in our culture. A moment ago, Murray asked us to, you know, pray for our children. We see that in uh, the culture around us. Our culture is more and more insistently saying, throw off the shackles of the way God has made, not the way God has made you, they wouldn't say that, would they? Throw off the shackles of the way you're made, of the, the, the physical world that you live in. You don't have to be defined by the gender you were born into. You're defined by the gender that's in your mind. You don't have to be bound by the sexuality that comes naturally to you according to the, the body God has given you. You can just do whatever you like. And, and what they're saying is if you throw off the, the slavery of being physical, you'll have this freedom. And what is happening already and is increasingly going to happen in our culture is as people reject God's creation, they are rejecting Christ implicitly because of that. Because it's all made through him, it's all made for him, and it all finds its fulfillment in him. So as we reject those things, there will be a certain type of freedom, but that will actually lead to slavery. Slavery to our uh, feelings, to our passions, to being controlled by things that are much bigger than us. Things that will drive us into solitary places, literal loneliness. Our country is drowning in a, a tide of loneliness, partly because of the breakup of family. And it's going to be increasingly so, increasingly the case. So we see the devil's activity, we see it in relationships, we see it in culture. And I think, and this is more of, it's more of a nuanced point. This is a smaller point. It's more specifically for, for us as Christians. Often through the Christian life, there comes that specific challenge that God gives us where he's saying, I want you to be more obedient, more bound to me. You know, the irony that's in this passage is that this guy is free physically, but he's enslaved. By the end, do you see what's happened? Luke picks up on it so cleverly. He's obedient to Christ. He's no longer begging Christ to go away. He's begging him. Can I stay with you? And then Jesus gives him a command. What does he do? He obeys him. So he's bound to Christ and now he's free. Before, his, you know, he had no boundaries and he was enslaved. Now he's bound to Christ and he's free. And that's, that's the same truth for each one of us. The more bound we are to Christ and his way of love, the freer we are. And time and again, in my experience of the Christian life, Scripture backs this up. Paul certainly talks about it a lot, and I'm sure you will have experienced it. There will come a challenge where God says, challenge us to go further in our faith, to be more sacrificial in helping somebody and using our time or our money or in forgiving somebody or any of those, any of those things. And it feels like God is saying something like, you know, take up your cross and follow me again. And something inside of us is like saying, really God? And you, I, almost, I almost find myself with the voice of that demon-possessed man. What have you got to do with me? Can you just leave me alone? Please just, you know, I think we've come far enough. I'm ready to have a little rest now. And I want to say to God when he challenges me that way, can you leave me alone? I feel like he's trying to enslave me. Do you ever feel like that? When you see God's command afresh or you hear something in the sermon and it just hits home or you're praying or reading your bible or someone says something to you and you're like it hits home and the holy spirit says this is for you and you're like really 
easy for me to... And you kind of almost feel like God's kind of capturing you. Do you ever feel like that? I don't know, maybe you wouldn't have put it like that, I don't know. But I feel like that. At that moment, that surrender, that act of obedience is the very thing that will give you the freedom that God wants to give you. It will give you a new level of passion for his name, of of, um, ability to follow him, of ability to enjoy him, ability to bless others. So don't be afraid of that moment. Don't, in that moment, push God away. Just, just recognize that dynamic. The devil wants you to push him away. That's the diabolos. <laughs> to, to cast you apart from God's law. Jesus, when he draws you to himself, when he binds us to him, sets us free. I'm not really sure if that fit in with the point two, but I hope it's helpful anyway. So we've got the... So it helps us to recognise that demonic activity and that struggle that's at the heart of us. Thirdly then, and this is my last point today, it's a picture of God's wisdom in how he treats us in terms of dealing with sin and evil in our, in our lives. There's a kind of a, a question, and, you can, and there's speculation about this passage. Why did Jesus send the demons into the pigs? I've already given you a heads up, I don't know the answer. <laughs> but people will speculate. They will say, you know, did, did he have some kind of compassion on the demons? Like, that seems a bit weird, doesn't it? I, I don't know, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about things the Bible doesn't talk about. But that seems a little far-fetched to me. Uh, you know, like somehow he let them off lightly by sending them into pigs who then drowned. Is there some kind of spiritual law, like, you know, you can't just cast demons out, they've got to go down like a, you know, the ladder or something like pigs and then, you know, uh, you know who knows? I, I don't know. It's not those things. This is, the, this is the answer. The thing I definitely know is Jesus did what was best for that man. And what would enable most people to believe in him. There's the answer, I think. I don't think Jesus had to do anything. I think he just snapped his fingers and you know, woof them out of existence, didn't he? You know, he's king of kings, lord of lords, he's the son of God. So, you know, no wonder they were terrified. So why did he send the, uh, these demons into the pigs first? It was what was best for the man. So just for a moment, imagine this poor man and his squalor and his way he's lived for all these years and suddenly he's in his right mind. I think I'd want to know they were gone. Wouldn't you? That they're not going to come back? That it's definitely a done deal? That this isn't just some, you know, uh, placebo? You know, I don't think you would have known the word placebo effect, but, you know, it's not some placebo. It's not some in-the-moment thing. And what better way to reassure this guy that this legion of demons has left him than for him to watch the demons drive a herd of pigs over a cliff and he's into the sea. That would have etched it into your mind, wouldn't it? There would be no doubt that it's a done and done at that point. And for people to believe. Who was there to see Jesus at the beginning? The disciples, you know, on their wobbly, um, fresh off the sea legs. Uh, this demon-possessed man and another one, according to the other Gospels, there were two. 
and um, some swine herders, which isn't a word you hear very often, is it? Just a handful of pig keepers came to see this miracle and uh, of this man being delivered from these demons. But when the pigs pl- plunge over that cliff, the swine herders go into the city and all the surrounding countryside and they tell everyone, you'll never guess what we just saw. And all these people come rushing to see Jesus to find out what's going on. And they see, I'm guessing they see some dead pigs floating in the, you know, in the shore. And they see this guy clothed and in his right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet, completely at peace. You know, it's, imagine that. Isn't that incredible? Now, this doesn't really help my point, because at that point, they all get really scared and they tell Jesus to go away. <laughs> and I'm trying to say it's, it helps them to believe in Jesus. But the end of the story is this man obeying Jesus and he goes around telling everyone what Jesus has done for him. Now I'm betting, I don't know what this guy's name was, but I'm betting he was top of the class in evangelism that year, don't you think? (laughs) In the region of the Gerasenes. Number one at making converts. Because, hey, do you know who I am? No, I don't recognise you. I was the guy who used to run around naked shouting at people (laughs) with like shackles (laughs) hanging. And then Jesus, yeah, and you remember those pigs that jumped off the cliff? Yeah, those were, those were demons that used to live inside me and Jesus has set me free. Wouldn't he be an amazing evangelist? I just, you know, I'd love to know. I guess one day we'll know, right? We'll get to see we'll get all the people in the region of the Gerasenes who got saved, who came to know Jesus through this guy. So anyway, all that is a long way of me saying the way Jesus deals with our problems is the way that's best for us and, for, and is best for the people around us as well. And that is so, so important. Because it's, so, it's really, really important that we know, as Christians, especially when we're struggling with sin in our own lives, that Jesus could, with a word, in a moment, completely set you free from every sin that's inside you. And the only thing that is stopping him is his love for you. Because he wants to do it in the best way possible. You understand that? I know that sounds a bit counterintuitive. But if you struggle with sin, or you struggle with challenges in your life, things that seem insurmountable, you have to know that God is not limited in his power to help you. He is not in any way limited. I heard someone say recently, I just thought this is a lovely way to put it, God always takes us the fastest route to sanctification. But it's different for everybody. Because we're all made differently. So whatever you're going through, whether whether it is a, a literal battle with sin, you know, demons, literal or, you know, figurative. Or some problem in your life, some challenge that seems, you know, you can't overcome it. You have to know this, that God will lead you the quickest route out of that. And the route that will bless most people around you. Is that encouraging? This delay that we experience in no way undermines the fact that one day we'll be like this man at the feet of Jesus. Completely sound. Sounder than anything. More wholesome than anything we can imagine. You know, I mean, we're not even talking about like just normal and well-adjusted in this life. You know, It's just like full of the fruit of the Spirit. Transformed into the image of Christ. Full of his peace and joy. Beautiful. Raised up. Co-heirs with Christ to share in all his riches, all the joy of God's life poured into us. Fellowship with him. And it won't even be a, no, you can't come with me. You've got to stay here and tell people. (laughs) We'll get to stay with him too. 
He loves you. He loves you and nothing limits that love for you. He will bless you and keep on blessing you until the day when he presents you perfect and whole and spotless and blameless without fault before his glorious presence in great joy. That's what it says in Jude. So to the only God, our saviour, the one who casts out demons and defeats legions with a word, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.